When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by Book Riot's Read Harder Journal, created by us. This smartly designed, if we do say so ourselves, reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, your impressions of a book, and reviews of every book you read this year. Evenly interspersed among those entry pages are 12 challenges that are inspired by Book Riot's annual Read Harder initiative. It's not connected to any particular year, though. To encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd, read a book about books, get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant, find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press, and so much more. Every challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recommendations from us at Book Riot that help you fulfill the challenge. Get your copy at bookriot.com slash readharderjournal. That's bookriot.com slash readharderjournal. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 296. We're recording on Thursday, January 17th, 2019, in case you're not sure where you are in space and time. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. You know, after we went on a... Um, is rant, it was rant, rant is strong a jag a uh, a verbal bender maybe is a way of there thinking we go. about a it verbal bender seems talking talking about the the million not not a lot the, the most common feedback was i never heard of the millions before which mm-hmm. maybe proves the point we kind of were making though undermined the amount of time we spent <laughs> talking making that point <laughs> um about it but thanks for the feedback there uh interesting times in, in the in the book world um i don't think there was any other follow-up here yeah not from last week that's not from last week oh a couple things people recommending places to put a barnes and noble section yes crate and barrel is the best one i think crate and barrel is the winner Mm -hmm. so far um that seems the closest my and again my mental model is crate and barrel is a little farther up market than barnes and noble but not too much not too too much farther up market. Yeah, yeah, little farther. But if it were like nice new hardcovers and cookbooks, yeah. like cookbooks and Crate and Barrel, come on. Mm-hmm. Or like beautiful coffee table books. Um, yes. a po- other suggestions were uh, Trisha, who's a who ho- co-hosts our romance podcast, um, which is called When in Romance, said that she'd like to see it in Costco um, for I, I think for entertainment reasons, but also realizing that you know Costco moves a lot of books. I think we talked this in past shows like Costco is a sneaky big seller of books. Um just cuz there's so many Costcos and so many people do so much shopping there, they have discounts. I was noticing I was there a couple weeks ago. This relates to something maybe. Yeah, down about becoming. Mm-hmm. But becoming was there, but I'd noticed that it wasn't and I, I finally noticed how the book section was put together because of where Becoming was. Like, if I'm, oh. am I, aren't I putting Becoming on the end cap of like the books? You know, that like book strip you know, mm-hmm. between socks and um, you know, kids stuff and whatever. But they have all fiction and then nonfiction, and then I, I'd never put it together that they have their like mini genre pieces put together. Because like, why isn't Becoming oh. on the end cap? It should right. be, but it's always. Why isn't there it, a tower of why, them? Why, yeah. yeah, why? Why isn't um, there a giant inflatable Michelle Obama uh, right here? Um, but that was interesting. I'd love to know um, what percentage of Barnes and Noble sales Costco already mm. does. I don't even know how many Costcos there are. Are there more Costcos or Barnes and Nobles? What do you think? Oh. I don't know. I, I'll look it up and we'll do follow up next week. All of you out there, guess <laughs> right now in your head, and then next week we'll come back and you can know if you're right or wrong or look it up. What? Barnes and Noble. Just for context, for I, those of you who don't know, Barnes and Noble has about six hundred stores right now. I'm gonna say fewer Costco's than Barnes and Nobles, mm. but more like big box wholesalers than Barnes and Noble combined. Like if you count Costco and Sam's right. Club and B 
BJ's and I'm sure there are some that I don't know about, um, Mm -hmm. like regional situations, you would get more. So are we interested in Costco specifically or wholesale? I think Costco to Barnes and Noble, just because we're not also throwing half price books and books a million and you know other true, big true. books okay. you know the strand and pals not throwing all the big box now i'm second guessing i have no idea i have no idea how many costcos there are jeff i'm thinking it's going to be pretty close i'm just using portland as my um, um my base rate there's mm-hmm. about as many costcos as barnes and nobles in the yeah. greater portland area i think we have two costcos in richmond and three to five barnes and nobles oh really okay mm-hmm. all right well, we'll see. Uh, I'll find out. That'll be our we're we're, we're preloading follow up for next week, <laughs> which is a weird thing to do. Uh, also, a lot of people talking about books in grocery stores. Um, interesting that we've had a couple of Bookwright contributors, I think, talking about how they've worked in grocery stores and bookstores, mm-hmm. and how different a business are. Like grocery stores, I know this to be true. Operate on razor thin margins. Um, not that a bookstore you would think of as something that operates on awesome margins, but it's way better than on fresh broccoli and stuff. Um, <laughs> and so they could, you'd have to discount everything and so on and so forth. Um, and people, I think also made a good point that if you, you want a Barnes and Noble section, if you're Barnes and Noble to be in a place people want to go to, not that they have to go to, you don't want right. to associate Barnes and Noble with like, I've got to go pick up my, um, Dayquil and my, um, uh, Drano. And then I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy a book there as well. I, I could see some brand protection things, not to not to give any hints about what my grocery store runs look like. Um, <laughs> but but I think there's something to that. Like it's not people definitely go to grocery stores clearly, but I'm not sure that you want to do that. The, the one I was thinking about is we were waiting for. I haven't been in too many Whole Foods of late, but the Amazon um. integration that one makes a ton of sense mm-hmm. to have a. Yeah, book section of some kind. Well, and I think that that point about not wanting to buy your books in a place that you have to go is well taken. And maybe the success of book sections in Target is an interesting way mm-hmm. to continue thinking about that. That like you go to Target because you need laundry detergent, but you also go because Target is an experience and it feels yeah. nice in some way. Like, I, I mean, I don't know anybody who's like, dang it, I have to go to Target. You know, oh, like, you, know you know one, you know one. <laughs> oh, yeah. you. Well, okay, Jeff, but you don't like going anywhere. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. I mean, that, that is counts though. <laughs> um, so of people who enjoy some places in the world... <laughs> They typically enjoy the Target run uh, and the book section there, like it's nothing special or fancy, but you're, you're, you're like buying your laundry detergent and also deciding yeah. to treat yourself to nice new bubble bath and a face mask. And now we all know what my Target runs look like, mm. um, but you're, you can pick up your Magnolia table while you're there and I think feel nice about it. And Whole Foods yeah. is also like, that's a shopping experience. You're still at the grocery store because you need groceries, but you're at a Whole Foods because you want to have a grocery buying experience. Of the um, retail and, things I have to do, I think I enjoy my time in Whole Foods the most. Hmm. Just, I don't know. I like yeah. walking. I, I don't mind walking around mm-hmm. at Whole Foods. Usually it's yeah. also because I'm not going for a giant grocery run because it's, you know, whole paycheck yeah. is the, the ongoing joke. Mm-hmm. So if there, I'm usually getting something special. We're getting ready for something unusual. They've got stuff that's good to look at. The kids like to go there and look at the pizzeria and the thing. Like right. it's, it, an it's, it's an experience. Yeah. So mm-hmm. whereas a grocery store, I'm trying to get in and out of there as best as I can. But a whole food section, you know, there's, um, there's a little Italian uh, grocery store. It's like upscale, mm-hmm. but they focus on Italian foods. And they have a wonderful little book section. Is in fact where I oh, bought cute. buttermilk graffiti. Um, hmm. So there's, there's I, I guess, that. maybe a, uh, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing here. But that's, this is another little uh, piece <laughs> of the puzzle of thinking about it. You know, because um, mm-hmm. Shatskin had said, uh, I don't think it made it into the episode of Annotated About Bookstores. He said, you know, there's a lot of places now selling books that didn't sell them 50, 60 years ago. Oh, for sure. And, you know, kids, there's a lot of more kids stores that have books that aren't bookstores. Like you go into a kids store these days, it's a dedicated kids store. There's a huge book section. You know, you go into these gift shops, there's serious book sections. So some of it, I wonder about the atomization and fragmentation of like people making a part of their other kind of store 
and they break out some section for books related to whatever topic um, mm-hmm. they're related to, which I think is interesting as yeah, well. Yeah, to loop it back to Crate and Barrel, I think that's one thing. Like, if you're standing in Crate and Barrel looking at nice cooking knives, you are interested in food yes. in some way. Yeah, you know, right. And whether it's food essays like Buttermilk Graffiti or the Dining In Cookbook from Alice and mm-hmm. Roman or something like that, there is a market. Like, that. Cust- you could sell books to that customer um, in a non-bookstore setting. And I think it's going to be interesting to see the continued fragmentation of mm-hmm. those for sure. All right, why don't you do, okay. we got, let's take a break and do our first sponsor. All right, our first sponsor this week is Last Woman Standing by Amy Gentry. I am really excited that this is a sponsor this week because I recommended it just on my own uh, on all the books last week. I read and really dug this. It's about an aspiring stand-up comedian named Dana Diaz. She's a woman in a man's world. Comedy is just largely male-dominated. She's also a woman of color. Um, She meets this computer programmer one night whose name is Amanda. Um, They're at a bar after Dana has done a set, and they start bonding over their struggles in boys club professions and also what are essentially me too kinds of experiences. Um, Dana confides in Amanda that she's recently been harassed and assaulted while she was in LA. And Amanda comes up with this plan that they're going to go after each other's assailants, like strangers on a train style. Um, Dana gets into this plan and shock, like just shockingly finds that she's in a little <laughs> over her head. <laughs> this revenge, like it feels good. The revenge is sweet, but it draws her into a really complex series of betrayals. And soon she doesn't know who to trust. The distrust turns into paranoia about strangers and friends and even herself. And it becomes this question about like, at what cost is she going to get her vengeance? Who's going to get hurt? When it's all over, will there be anybody else left to trust um in the like in the moment of me too um this is a very satisfying revenge fantasy kind of read um and it's amy gentry's follow-up she had a thriller a few years ago called good is gone that also was a really fun surprising um, interesting story but i think the world of comedy for obvious reasons like the stories that we've had about louis ck and mm-hmm. other um, prominent male comedians have brought to light what being a woman in that world is like um, and amy gentry gets it out on the page it's also really funny because the character is a comedian and she's got you know jokes on the page and she has a funny voice and like very dry um in some ways so you get to see women on the page share their me too experiences and then seek revenge on the men who have hurt each other um, and get you know a little in over their heads but it's a great thriller really engrossing i read it in one sitting if this sounds good to you as well this book last woman standing by amy gentry is out now you can find it wherever books are sold or we'll have a link to it in the show notes all right i'll do the next story um just so you don't have to <sighs> oh. uh, bad news this morning folks um mary oliver um one of rebecca's favorite if not the, you know, probably in, in mm-hmm. Rebecca's pantheon, uh, a, yes. a poet I love a great deal, uh, died today, Thursday, in her home in Florida of lymphoma. She was 83. Um, I was thinking about Mary Oliver um, and, you know, how to contextualize. I, there's a lot. I don't know much about her biography. I, had to, I, I realized I didn't know much about mm-hmm. her, but um, she grew up in Ohio. She started a habit of taking long walks that continued throughout her life. And, 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 in a long line of nature poets, and you know, probably the greatest living nature poet in, in English, mm-hmm. that's not just about nature, but like really drew inspiration from nature. I realized I had her in the same mental folder, not because of genre, but of a Terry Tempest Williams or an Annie mm-hmm. Dillard. Um, oh, yeah. I think probably, you know, she's a poet, so a little bit different, but I think of, of those three, my favorite of those three, she won a National Book Award, won a Pulitzer. Ruth Franklin is quoted here saying that, you know, the critics didn't, you know, she's not a critical darling in a way you might expect. I realize I don't know much about contemporary poetry and like who's in and who's out. I'm much more of a casual mm. poetry reader. So I I, I, th- I was a little surprised, I yeah, guess, y- to read that. Um hmm. You know, not that I care necessarily. And her quote says, she's not difficult and the work yeah. is incredibly accessible, which I do mm-hmm. think sometimes in poetical circles is read as your mainstream or dumbed mm-hmm. down or whatever, whatever pejorative yeah, she you talked want to use about, for people understanding what you're trying to, to say. Yeah, She talked a lot about how poetry didn't need to be fancy. Yeah. And I think that especially for the kinds of things that she wrote about, it was 
critical that her work be something that anyone could relate to because she oh boy Mm. um mm, she writes about the kinds of questions and things that we all i think carry inside us about humanity and nature and um thank you for taking the lead on this yes like i have to i have to have a mary oliver moment because mm-hmm. it is right to celebrate someone whose work has meant that much to um to one of us and to the reading community um like if nature is your church the way that it's mine mary oliver is the high priestess and she thought so carefully i think about how to exist in the world what kind of life to live um her work embodies this real paying attention to small things noticing beauty letting the everyday become sacred. Um, And I have stood in so many beautiful places, like quietly quoting Mary Oliver (laughs) to Mm. myself um, or to the person that I'm with and feeling those experiences be richer for having had her words um, to give them, to give them more depth and to provide that frame. Um, I, I just can't quite articulate the size of the influence of her work on the way that I think about the world, on the way that I think about what it is to be a person, um, and on the ways that I experience nature. Her work has been so grounding and so formative for me. And one of her poems has been quoted all over the place this morning and referenced often because she did think about the whole, like all of life. Um, And in When Death Comes, like one of my favorite poems of hers for a long time, but um, the last couple of stanzas kind of say it all. Um, When it's over, I want to say, all my life, I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. Um, And I think that from what we know about her life and from what we know about her work and the way that she wrote about all that she saw and that she experienced, um, she did more than visit. She seemed to have really lived... um, and I find it inspiring and moving. And I'm just going to be in a glass case of emotion <laughs> um, for a while about this. But it's been uh, so like, you know, because she's one of the best selling poets in American history. Um, and because the work is so accessible, like that I'm not alone or unique in having had this experience mm. with her work, you know, to be someone who loves nature and then to love Mary Oliver kind of go hand in hand and seeing just this, this news is hours old and I'm going to be sad about it for a long time, but seeing um, the response from our coworkers and our contributors and the book riot community and just people on the internet um, in all the ways that they've connected to the work is such a heartening reminder of, I think of the power of beauty. And that's a reminder that I need a lot in 2018. Um, and since you mentioned Terry Tempest Williams, she has a story on her Instagram today about mm. um, standing on a patio somewhere in Wyoming in terry cloth bathrobes, smoking cigarettes with Mary Oliver watching Moose. <laughs> and if that is not the best thing I've ever heard, mm. and also like the highest form of goals ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. You know, I again, I'm not. I'm. Uh, it's, it's been a while since I was uh, a critic of any kind, especially of poetry, especially of contemporary poetry. But it, there is always a. Uh, it's helpful to think about someone's thematic concerns and the style they used. And I think it's fair to say. Tell me if I'm off base here. But one of her concerns, or messages, or considerations, or something she was attuned to was that uh, magic and wonder wasn't something you really had to go looking for. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. on the mountaintop um, in, in, a, in a Buddhist monastery. It wasn't some other place. It was the grasshopper in your hand. It was yeah. the, 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 the trees outside your window. And so accessibility kind of wasn't just a style, but a, but a, a moral sort of, of, of the teaching. It's like, it's all around you. And in that mm-hmm. way, she's much... She's much as much of a Whitman disciple as anyone yeah. I can think of. Um, There's a real like transcendentalist flavor to yeah, it as well. I right. think um, 
but also in a non-transcendentalist flavor and like it's not somewhere else it's right here i mean that's the right, thing that's, that's i think true. hard for people well, to I to think, get about whitman yeah, and her it's, it's like it's right it's this is it it's this is not a metaphor for something else Right. right. Like, it's this, this is not that, the fallen version of something else. This is it. And it's incredible. Right. That nature is spiritual and that yeah. the world, the, right, that the world contains magic. And um, one of my other favorite lines of hers is from a poem called Sometimes. And it's instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. Yeah. And that I like if that's all you do in your day every day, like you're doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you can pay enough attention to find something to be astonished by or, you know, wonderstruck, um, in awe of, grateful for, you have done the thing. Um, and Mary Oliver's, I think that's one of the primary concerns of her work as well is like in, especially in a world that's so big and so busy and so filled with like consumerism and so many things. It's this very grounding reminder of like, no, look right in front of you. Just as you said, like it's the grasshopper in your hand. It's the way that that leaf is falling from the tree and how it Mm -hmm. changes when the wind blows. Um, It's what walking through this field is like in spring and how that's different from walking through the exact same field in summer. Uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. And from a pragmatic point of view, if you haven't picked up poetry in a while and you're interested, it's it's well worth yes. picking Mary Oliver up. Also, mm-hmm. a really good gift for a mom or a dad or a grad. Like we're a little ahead of mm-hmm. this, but like mm-hmm. it is accessible, meaning the you can pick up a poem and you're not like, you know, you don't need a primer, you don't need to read it a thousand times. It's not to say it's simple. It's not to say there's not layers to it, but you can read six lines of Mary Oliver and like have an experience right there which i think is kind of you know she's kind of modeling in poetry what she thought nature did i um, think so too um if you're looking for one place to start the latest collection that came out last year is called devotions it's a beautiful hardcover um and there are 200 poems in it that encapsulate her entire career so you're not going to get everything you know like but you're going to get tastes of things from most of the collections that she wrote and i think that's a wonderful introduction yeah those poetry collections for anyone the essential the best of the selected poems of any Mm -hmm. poet it's what what a wonderful hack those things are i mean the (laughs) the, the collections themselves but like for most poets get the selected you can't do you can't do it with fiction it's just because you can collect poems in in one volume and get a whole bunch of different tastes of it but like it's it's a real um a a sneaky great thing about poetry is that you can get Mm -hmm. the the essence of an entire poet's artistic career and corpus in, you know, one usually relatively slim volume. Mary Oliver was in her 20s when she published her first poems and in her like late 70s, early 80s with the last ones and to see the both the consistency of her concerns and also the evolution of the approach to those, I think is really Mm. interesting. That's really interesting. All right, let me do a sponsor. Let's get out of here. Let's get the feeling. Let's break out of the glass cage of emotion. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by The Dreamers by Karen Thompson Walker. All right, here's the deal. One night in an ordinary college town in the hills of Southern California, a first-year student stumbles into her dorm room, falls asleep, and doesn't wake up. Her roommate cannot rouse her, neither can the paramedics, the doctors the hosp- at the hospital, and then others start succumbing to this mysterious illness, and as you might expect, panic spreads through the community. A young couple tries to protect their newborn baby then. Two sisters worry as their survivalist father prepares for disaster. Those affected by the illness, doctors discover, are displaying record high levels of brain activity. They are dreaming heightened dreams, but of what? How's that for a hook? Go check it out. The Dreamers by Karen Thompson Walker. Out now? Go get it where you get your books, whether it's a... Costco or a Target or a internet web portal of some kind. Go check it out. Okay, now we're into potpourri of news things. Um, oh, I guess we I tipped my hat to this a little while ago. Becoming Now mm-hmm. has had the longest run as the best-selling book on Amazon since Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. little book called Fifty Shades of Grey that basically changed the publishing industry, except it didn't. But I wonder if Random House is going to get those $5,000 checks like they got for, Ooh, for Fifty Shades. That's, that's a great question. You mm. know, Fifty Shades was a surprise bestseller that they did yeah. not lay out a large advance 65 for. million clams for? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so the uh, I think becoming is probably doing about as well as Random House hoped it would do. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, it's hardcover. We're Fifty Shades of Paperback, so you're getting more dollars per unit. Anyway. Mm-hmm. If you're a birdie um, with blah, 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 knowledge blah, blah, about blah. things like this in Random House, is it possible for a thing like that to happen again? Those bonuses for a big bestseller? Or would it have to be a surprise that they didn't spend much money on? So there mm-hmm. was just oodles of profit. Here's an anecdotal um, story that's telling. I think this was in the book riot insider slacker. Controls. Like, I can't remember. Someone said they got off the train and saw someone hand selling becoming on the yeah. sidewalk. <laughs> Rather than like flowers or cheap umbrellas, that I've ne- that that is an unprecedented. Yeah, uh, you, that, I, that is a phenomenon uh, in a nutshell, right there. Yeah, that, I've that never is. heard of that. Even in the big moment of Fifty Shades of Grey, mm-hmm. I remember being in New York for work and standing on a subway platform and looking around and seeing, you know, like everybody reading a copy of the book. Um, yeah. But I don't think I ever saw a street vendor selling it. I was looking at Publishers becoming, Weekly. It's really yeah, becoming 159,000 copies last week. It's been out since November 13th now. Still selling, you momentum. know, six six digits uh, and mm-hmm. up. And that's just print and blah, blah, blah. Also related, I, I didn't put this in here. Maybe I'll throw it to you. So um, because of the Netflix series, the condo, Condomania oh, yeah. is having another mm-hmm. moment. Any idea, you could just give me a multiple. You don't have to guess. Oh. But the mm-hmm. sales of... Uh, the life-changing magic of tidying up as a multiple of the week sales before the book came out. Oh, I'm going to go with like exponential. Um, 20. 20 times? Yes. Uh, not as much. As, so it was really about three and a half times. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, so the week it came out sold 14,000 copies that week, which mm-hmm. is a great number for a book that's been out for a while. And, and frankly... It's one of those books. Like, is anyone interested in life-changing magic of tidying up that hasn't read it already? And the answer to the, the answer to that question with books is yes. I mean, that's the thing. Yes. It's like it's not like a movie. Like, <laughs> there's still people out there that might be a sort of in, Fifty Shades of Grey still sells. Harry Potter still sells. Like these books mm-hmm. that have this kind of momentum will sell at some level yeah. forever. I'd be interested in something like um, the t- the six month prior total for life changing yeah. magic, and then six months forward-looking from the mm. release of the show because it does take people a little while to get to I wondered Netflix about that too. too. I guess I was I, I should have guessed kind of like you did like what my prior would have been for my guess of what the effect would have been. I, I think the difference that you and I we're maybe thinking more like of a movie coming out or like a broadcast television show mm-hmm, where, right, where people are going to go see it in a bunch all at once whereas right. with Netflix it's there forever. You can get to it you yeah. know whatever time. I think Netflix is probably a slower role. Yeah. Um, Longer I tail. heard um, Samin Nosrat, who wrote Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, yeah. just, you know, incredible cookbook, and has the documentary series on Netflix. I heard her be interviewed on a podcast earlier this week, and she was joking about how it seems that people have really overestimated the amount of money that a Netflix documentary host <laughs> makes. <laughs> um, like that beautiful, the beautiful kitchen that they're in in the last yeah. episode of the show is not her beautiful kitchen at home. She lives in a small apartment, and um, she was talking about like that, even though that show kind of went netflix viral and presumably sold a lot of copies of her cookbook like Mm -hmm. it was life-changing for her in the recognition capacity but and in the kinds of opportunities that are being opened up for her but not like not a life-changing amount of book sales after that that's what the second series contract is for right right like that's what the the Mm -hmm. next one i was also reading about some of the holiday we didn't do too much of this but holiday sales were up across the board independent bookstores Mm -hmm. reporting have a very good uh, holiday quarter eight, up eight percent year over year. A lot there was, and again, I don't remember this from years past, and maybe it's availability bias because it's something I'm looking out for. But there were books people had a hard time just having keeping in stock. And salt that reminded me because salt, fat, acid, heat. I may mm-hmm. have mentioned on a podcast before. It was hard, it was sold out? Like you couldn't buy it in a lot of places, an independent bookstore. Becoming, they didn't have any trouble with. But it looked like, and there was like four titles I don't have in front of me. There were four S and S titles. That people had a hard time. I know one of them was that Frederick Douglass biography that was nominated yeah. for the Pulitzer Prize, and there were a couple other um, of them as well. And I don't know if that's related to the paper taxes, uh, but like they were saying, you know, Random House can get you a reorder in three days. And mm-hmm. Simon and Schuster, like, if you didn't if you didn't order six week ahead of time, you weren't getting restock of some of the books there. So I don't know if they had some contract in China for a paper or something or what was going on there, but I don't remember seeing something quite like that um, 
in, in a while. And so just as a, as a, I don't know, another data point is one bookstore said they sold 450 copies of Becoming for the holiday season, which for an independent bookstore That's is huge. A, a lot of copies. I mean, <laughs> even for a book as big as Becoming, that is a lot of copies to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, you're selling yeah, that's- 10 a day from Thanksgiving through the new year, which is a lot of money mm-hmm. um, for an independent bookstore. So Let's see. Um, that's the becoming news. I guess we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, where do you want to go next? You know, I think we have to go into kind of the depressing corner. Yeah, but I'm it, we're yeah, we're back into the news of the year, and we do have an ongoing commitment to calling attention to um, ill-advised, ignorant things. I- ill-advised library shenanigans, public library shenanigans. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there's a couple. Um, there's a couple things. Uh, I think I just saw this story this morning it's from uh, from yesterday um the board of a kansas public library in andover kansas a, a smaller town is um, reportedly considering a resident's request to move books featuring transgender characters out of the children's section and into um either the adult or the young adult section of the library um the titles involved are george uh, which has come up often uh, in yeah, this context you know Mm-hmm. Lillian Duncan and I am Jazz and the resident Marcy Laffin, as this was noted in the Wichita Eagle, um, cited the sexual content of the books in her request. So this is the first reminder of 2019 that um, being transgender is not about sexuality. Um, that's about gender. Um, discussing transgender issues is not sexual content. Um, she also says that the themes of bullying, rebelling against the police, and refusing to take medications are reasons that the books do not have a place in the children's section of the Andover Public Library. Um, I have news for her about the other kinds of books that are in her public library. <laughs> um, the library's board members are going to decide on where the books should be shelved in mid-February. A meeting was held last week to discuss the issue and it was attended by um, more than 50 people. Uh, One of the library board members, Blake Cooper, told the news service that the request characterized the works as sexual revolution agenda and indoctrination of children. Um, You could also spin this person's request as an attempt to indoctrinate children in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to be watching this um, and certainly... Like this, this is not surprising. We see this kind no. of failure to fundamentally understand issues of gender identity um, all the time, and the fear around those, the conflation of gender identity with sexuality, um, and what's appropriate for children. Um, my hope is that these will stay in the children's section, available to the audience for which they are intended, and that it won't have to be a thing. Yeah, I. Um... I know people from Andover. It's a small farming oh, town in mm-hmm. South Central Kansas. Um, I guess for top line, isn't it amazing just just for a moment that I am Jazz and George are in a public library in Andover, Kansas. I twenty years oh, ago. Oh yes, where I mean, is the just, librarian who ordered those? And uh, good what job. a wonderful job! There's a name here because like there's a let me let me pull it up. Um, I just lost the. Um, name of uh, Jennifer, oh, Jennifer Clark, Clark, the Andover Public Library Youth Services Manager. Um, I don't know, Jennifer, if you are responsible for this or someone there. What a wonderful job to have them there. I know that's not easy to do being from Kansas. Both Rebecca and I have spent time in Kansas. We know these kinds of communities. They tend to be more rural. Um, they tend to be evangelical even. Um, what a wonderful job to have them at all. And Congratulate and kudos to you. Um, as to the person making the complaint, what a strange, what 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 cowardice to call it um, refusal to take. There's almost I'd almost prefer maybe, maybe again this isn't my identity so I don't know I'm sure someone who um, is transgender is more active in this. Would you would you rather them say? that they just don't want books about transgender people with the other books? Would it be easier just for it to be overt and not sort of like trying to couch it in these other bullying? Did you call it about bullying or refusal to take medication or uh, uh, 
rebelling against would it be easier to deal with it just to call it what it is which is you know transphobia and and um a prejudice or, or not i don't know there's a part of me that's like even extra mad because of the the cowardice of not yeah. even saying what you're trying to say um sexual revolution agenda i mean fair i mean i don't know the sexual revolution people use agenda like it's a, it's a pointed yeah. word like I right. think there is a sexual revolution agenda here. It's like that there, some people are trans and that's okay. Is <laughs> uh, the mm-hmm. agenda, uh, get on, get right. on the board or get under the train. Indoctrination of children, uh, one person's education is another person's edu- indoctrination, I guess. Um, and- I think of indoctrination as where you take away people's choices to learn about things. So there you go. Also, they're not banning mm-hmm. it. They're moving it, which <laughs> seems strange as well. It just, it's a, it's a, it's a strange story. It's, it feels like it's like passive aggressive in its, in a way that that it that is almost more not more differently frustrating than an outright yeah, take these out of the library situation. You know, there's an interesting line here too near the bottom of the piece that says that this request has led to discussions about a library's role in sex education as well as a child's right to read about topics that mm-hmm. may involve complex subjects. Um I don't want to get into children's rights about what they read. I think that's a much bigger, it's beyond the scope of what we can do here in five minutes. But that first part, discussions about a library's role in sex education. um, If you remove the word sex from that sentence, it's absurd to have a discussion Mm. about a library's Mm. role in education. (laughs) A library's role in education should, like, this is why we have public libraries, so that information is available and accessible to everyone, regardless of their ability to pay for it. Um, And the librarians here in Andover seem to be considering that in bringing in material that reflects the world that we live in, that reflects a diversity of ideas, even ones that they know might be unpopular in their community. Those books are on the shelf for reasons of education and edification and entertainment and if we removed the word sex there or we changed it to anything else like the request has led to discussions about a a library's role in mathematics education you know like you know any science education any of the other subjects like the library's role in education is the library's role regardless of the subject Um, Mm. and that the people of Andover are having this conversation as if learning about sex is somehow different in a different class of learning than learning about any other fundamental part of being a human um, or existing in the world is appalling but not surprising and also just the 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 elementary fact that you know the the protest or the request here makes no distinction between Sex and gender, like sexual mm-hmm. con- gender stuff about gender right. fluidity, you, is not necessarily about sex in, in the way that you know a kid is going. And certainly, these books, it would be difficult. Um, I, I think it would be difficult to say they're about sex education. Now, gender mm-hmm. identity is certainly on the table, mm-hmm. but sex education is also a loaded term. I think brought to sort of weaponized here in a way that's unfair yes. and hostile. Just, you um, don't know what you're talking about, so you yeah, shouldn't you get to file these kinds of complaints. And also, look up the Streisand effect. Who is this? Um, Marcy Laffin. Mm-hmm. Go look up the Streisand effect. Yeah, just, she went just from go look it up. you know. Andover to being covered in the Wichita Eagle to now being like one of the cover stories of the Hill. Yeah, so how's uh, that for calling attention? To how's that? Books? So I think I guess that's another thing we didn't really talk about when we. Um, I don't remember when was that we sort of asked people if they still wanted to hear about these individual oh, it was instances a year or two ago, yeah, of censorship or I'm not even sure what you would call this segregation. You know, sort of biblio segregation of a kind. It's like ban adjacent. Yeah, right, <laughs> ban adjacent. Yeah. But there is a fact that talking about them and saying the names of the books that they want people to ignore or marginalize out loud undermines their project, and that I hadn't really put that piece into mm-hmm. the equation of whether or not we should still do this. And I think it's very much that tips the scales even oh, more yes. than people saying they wanted to hear about well, them. Yeah, especially, you know, knowing the sort of core demographic of Book Riot, if hearing yeah. the names of these books makes you at all inclined to spend money on them or to buy them for the library that you work in or to put them in your classroom, like may Alex Gino ride the royalties yeah, right. these kinds of news stories right. for the yeah. rest of their career. I hadn't heard of Lillian Duncan and I put on hold it to my library. You know, mm-hmm. I'd heard of George and I am jazz, but, you know, Lillian Duncan is going on my uh, take a look at list. Um, anyway, there's that story there. May your efforts fail. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the uh, <laughs> may your efforts. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> 
related. This is a, from late December. It's been on yeah, my sort of. It's been here forever. List. I'm glad we're getting to this eventually. We're Thank finally you for getting to this. On there. Yeah, the ACLU of Louisiana has filed a suit against a public library there to end its ban on any program in which men in drag read to children. Um, if this is news to you, many mm. libraries around the country have instituted drag queen story time, drag queen story hour, um, and there have been uh, protests and attempts to stop them in several places. Louisiana being one of them, Lafayette um, particularly. And so the ACLU has now gotten involved that um, using the library as a way to you know, sort of censor who is and isn't allowed to express themselves is not is a civil rights issue and the ACLU mm-hmm. um, has gotten in there. And one of the great sentences here, kids who are different have to know it's okay. And kids who aren't different have to know it's okay for other kids to be d- different. That's what Drag Queen Story Hour is all about. Um, and that's from the ACLU news release. Um, so thinking about really the big picture purposes of these kinds of programming in public libraries and um, the ways that librarians are charged, not just with the materials they bring into the library, but with programming and thinking about um, exposing their communities to information, exposing their communities to you know access and also you know making everyone feel seen and welcome this is a public service that all taxpayers are paying into and should be able to derive value from and not feel discriminated against um it's uh, also alleging that um the library identifies transgender people as um like some kind of it's there's religious issues with just being transgender um like your religious issues don't God, get to affect horse crap. God. Also, like th- your religion crap. does not get to affect public policy <laughs> oh, about libraries. God, like this, it is, crap. it is, it's just such a horse crap. Um, like, and also being transgender doesn't come with a built-in religious ideology. Like, there, there's just so much nonsense there's so much nonsense and so i am very pleased to see the aclu getting involved here may this scare off anyone else thinking about trying to ban a program Mm -hmm. in their public library you don't want the aclu knocking at your door and and let's spotlight a little bit like i did for jennifer clark Teresa elberson um the library director um stead in in the countersuit that it should be dismissed as frivolous the injunction against um Story hour. Teresa. This is the well most frivolous. Good job, Teresa. Interesting here. Um, the original plans for a drag queen story hour made by members of the University of Louisiana at Lafayette chapter of Delta Lambda Phi, a fraternity of gay, bisexual, and progressive men. They planned to read books to children between ages three and six. Interest was so high that it was moved to an auditorium at South Louisiana Community you know? College, but then they had budget problems because they needed extra security. Mm-hmm. It's um, um, Delta Lambda Phi. I salute you. Mm-hmm. Well done. And it's interesting there. Like if two people had showed up for this, no one was going to complain about it. But there no. was so much, I think there, this expression of so much interest generates fear in people who are afraid of things like drag queens existing in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And that attempt to silence it grows out of seeing that it's popular. Um, really yeah. great job, Delta Lambda Phi. You know, this reminds me, like our listeners do a wonderful job of um, sending stories up for our attention of things like this happening. But if there are librarians in your community doing, you know, awesome progressive programming, especially in the face of a less than progressive, being in, in a less than progressive place, we would love to hear their stories um, and yeah. be able to celebrate them. If there's a, if you can send us a link to, you know, a piece about that, um, let's spend let's spend some more time spotlighting the good guys. And also, may so the Warriors for Christ and Special Forces of Liberty who filed the lawsuit. <laughs> oh boy. May your efforts fail. May they fail. Uh, let's do a sponsor. And, Look, okay. if you're like me, and you probably aren't, but you could be like me in one way, which you know there are so many great nonfictions, no, nonfiction books out there you want to read, but you don't have time. Trust me, and I'm still on my nonfiction streak continues. I'm I'm up to my ears in nonfiction, loving every second of it. But there's a lot I want to read that I'm not going to get to. I'm just not going to. Blinkist is the only app that condenses thousands of nonfiction books into the best key takeaways and need to know information. You can read or listen to them in just 15 minutes. Eight million people are using Blinkist right now and has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. 
if there's a book you're interested in, but you know you're not going to spend 10 hours reading it, but you want to know, like you want to get the gist of it, you want to get the, 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 the nut of the, of the argument, the information, um, the thesis, you can do it here. In less than 15 minutes, you can get there. So here's a couple. Like, Look, I've read a, there's books on here I've read, but sometimes a nonfiction book, there's 15 minutes of stuff and you get the idea. You won't have the same experience of reading the whole book, but you can say like, start with Why by Simon Sinek. I've read that. It's on a lot of great business book lists. It's a good book. It's worth reading. But if you're not going to read it, 15 minutes of understanding what it's about is totally worth it. Another one here, Homo Deus. Uh, you all know Harari. It's a big, complicated, thick book. But there's a really simple and kind of elegant middle to it that you're not going to have the same experience of reading the whole book, but you'll be able to say that idea will be something that can rattle around in your head and sort of be part of how you understand the world because maybe there's something else you want to read. Maybe it's the, the length of the book is keeping you from engaging with that idea, so here's a way to get it in a, in, a, in, a, in a digest form where you can understand it and move on to something else that you're interested in. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash bookriot to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash bookriot for your free seven-day trial. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. All right. Okay. Hmm. You want to do weird news? You pick one, I'll pick one. Okay. This was on the agenda last week and we right. didn't get to it uh, because we had a verbal bender. Uh, yeah. And I'm so just like that thinking man, like that thinky face emoji. That's me. <laughs> oh, I know where you're <laughs> going this. now. Okay, yeah, good. I'm ready. It's I'm ready not, for this. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite shruggy man, but I'm very thinky face. Um, a Knoxville, Tennessee resident, a businessman named Tom Boyd, has been clearing 40 acres of land that he owns uh, in South Knoxville. He owns this land. It's behind the Home Depot and the Walmart. And his original plan was to build the world's largest dog park. Tom, I'm on board for that. But instead, he is building the ancient lore village at Boyd Hollow. Jeff, this is just the poor man's shire. <laughs> I, it's the rich man's shire. I think the shire is the poor man's shire. Well, the shire shire was like, you know, an expensive endeavor. But this, uh, it's, and now he's calling it a resort. It will have 150 whimsical grass-covered huts and tree houses that are tucked into the hillside. It will have water features and stone walls and a 150-seat restaurant and a 500-person meeting and event center and a 1,000-seat amphitheater. And it's all based around fictional characters in a book that Boyd has written, who I only presume mm. are called Nobbits or... <laughs> Something that's not hobbits, but are basically hobbits, because this is a hobbit hole that I'm looking at. This is, yeah, it, it, this is Hobbiton. I mean, that, that, that's what he the, wants it to it's be. One, it is 100% Hobbiton. The best sentence of this piece is this resort is unlike anything else in the world. <laughs> I have I have news for you, Tom Boyd. Um, I have been to the original. <laughs> it exists. This is wild. It's going it's to draw people wild story. from all over Knoxville um, and presumably from like beyond Knoxville. I'd say the greater Tennessee area. If you're around, it's <laughs> you know, a wonderful Tennessee, attraction. Like not, Tennessee is no stranger to a weird resort. Like Tennessee's got Dollywood. Guy, to a guy with 40 acres and a backhoe and nothing better to do. Yeah, I think <laughs> right, that's right, right. to that. Yeah. Tennessee's got Dollywood. Tennessee's got Graceland. <laughs> <laughs> like I think... Kenny Rogers or a lot one of the Kennys has a thing mm -hmm. in, in Tennessee too but like this is the Shire it's just the Shire and the fact that the news like and I'm delighted like good job Tom Boyd I hope this is successful because this is a delightful thing to do with your 40 million dollars um, but it is absurd to me that the news story around it is taking it as if it is a completely like sui generis you know original right. brand new thing <laughs> Yeah, it's. I'm trying to think of like what the like, equivalent would like, be. It's like, I don't know. It's like having a sci. I guess it'd be like a sci-fi 
like themed it's, um like a sci-fi themed theme park that's called Spaceballs, right? Like it's a like, Star Wars ripoff kind of Yes, idea. or you know like a magical school for witches and um they're broken into different houses that they live in for wizards and they they spend different houses that they live in and you can go to the wand store and ride the train to get there but it's not Hogwarts. Um but like, it's just it's so like listen to this <laughs> like, quote. Listen to this. Everything in this village will be in the image of ancient lore people. Orcs, leprechauns, and all of that stuff. I think I think we might have like I don't know. I, I don't orcs, know what the orcs, leprechauns, all, that all of that stuff. stuff. Like there's there's a there's a wild like smearing of all sort of northern European folk tradition. It's just gonna mm-hmm. be it's White people, <laughs> fake magic creatures. That's that's what oh. that's what it really should be called. It's, that's really yeah, should be the, called. The just like taking this on its face, earnest reading of it is so absurd, <laughs> and and also kind of delightful. I don't I don't know. It's like I, it feels to me like he was like, how can I make the Shire in Knoxville and do just enough to not get sued. <laughs> Like, what, I would how, watch how out. I be? mean, the Tolkien estate. <laughs> that, <laughs> he said his original plan was to build the world's largest dog yes, park. He should have. I would have That's gone a great to Tennessee idea. to go that. Yes. Ancient lore <laughs> village at Ancient. Boyd Hollow. If you live in Tennessee and are willing to go here on assignment in 2020. Please. It's the Hydrox of uh, theme parks. <laughs> Oh, it's so amazing. Do you think mm. he knows? This is my deepest question. Does Tom Boyd know that this is a Shire knockoff or does he believe he's doing something original? I think there's a chance. Just the orcs, leprechauns, and all that stuff. <laughs> I'm not sure it's it's possible. <laughs> it's just not sophisticated enough even to be like come to the Shire, but we're not calling, like, why is it kept? It's not the Shire. It's where I I get my leprechauns and and also most of my stuff. And stuff. (laughs) And all that stuff. Oh, I've really felt the whole spectrum of human emotions in the last hour. We came from one place and we went to another. (laughs) It's like, it is is the antithesis of Mary Oliver, though. It is like (laughs) these imaginary lore in this completely artificial environment. It really is the opposite of Mary Oliver. We went there and back again. There there and back. And you know what? It should go back. (laughs) There, back again, and then leave again. Oh, a million dollars, forty million dollars. I can't tell if that seems like a high number or a low. You know, a million dollars an acre. Uh, I, I don't know. Seems like a lot of. Um, when Bob's talking to me about his clients, he's a financial advisor. He goes, "Well, you have to spend it on something," <laughs> which is true. Well, <laughs> the world's largest dog park would have been a better alternative. I don't know. Or scholarships for children. Buy a million copies of George by Alex Gino. <laughs> Put them in a library somewhere. Um, <laughs> okay, I think we should end there. Well, I, I, it's not going to get any better than that. I, yeah, I was going to do, but there's nowhere to go from there. Uh, no. You can email us podcast at bookriot.com. Show notes to this and all epi- back episodes of the Book Riot Podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Um, we'll be back next week. <laughs> Have a good one.